This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of the National Model Railroad Association. With free event and show insurance for members and clubs, we make it even more fun. Welcome to the Model Railway Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. We have another interesting show lined up for you. From the very beginning, we promised we'd feature the achievers and the innovators in our hobby. That's right. Folks who think outside the box and elevate the hobby of model railroading. Well, our two guests today certainly qualify. Later on, I'll talk to a trucker who takes an interior view of thinking outside the box. But first, here's Trevor with a great Dane, none other than Paley Soaborg. Many hobbyists dream of having their model railway appear on the cover story in a major magazine. Few would dare fantasize about having an entire book devoted to their layout. Well, my guest today has written not one, but two books on his layout, plus some handy how-to manuals and numerous articles. What's most remarkable about this is that Pele Soeborg picked as his prototype a railroad that operates more than 5,000 miles from his home. Twenty years ago, nobody in the hobby had even heard of Pele. Today, his HO scale rendition of the Union Pacific Railroad has become the benchmark for modeling modern era railroads set in the desert. It's also one of the best examples of how to capture the essence of present-day railroads, highways, and towns. But judge for yourself through four books, including two about his layout, Mountain to Desert, and Rebuilding a Layout from A to Z, all from Combat Publications. We'll have a link to these and other books by Pele on our website, as well as a link to his own presence on the internet. So check out our episode guide at themodelrailwayshow.com. You can also find his work in Model Railroader magazine, plus catalogs for Walters and Woodland Scenics. Pele joins me today from Denmark, where he runs his own graphic design company. Pele, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. In the introduction, I mentioned that you've been in the hobby for 20 years, but you've actually enjoyed model trains since early childhood. What I find interesting about this is that even though you live in Denmark, it was an American railroad that pulled you into the hobby as an adult. How did that happen? It happened because I went to a bookstore in Copenhagen in the early 90s, and I don't remember what I went there for, but while I was waiting in line to pay for whatever I got, my eyes fell on this basket full of old model railroader magazines, and I picked one of them up and looked at the front page and said, wow, is that a model? And I ended up buying them all, and that was actually what got me started. So what was it about U.S. prototypes that attracted you to the hobby? I don't think it was the U.S. prototypes as such. It was just a realistic way of modeling. You know, when I was into trains, I was a child, and all I saw was these kind of plywood thing so you put up a little tree in the house and not really a model railroad it was just toy train so to me it was an eye-opener to see it look so real so when you looked at these and you, you didn't think to yourself wow i could do this but do a, a danish prototype H- having seen the u.s prototypes you wanted to do those anyway well yeah because when i started studying these magazines i and was also kind of intrigued by all of these detail parts you could buy and the articles about how to detail a locomotive and all that and danish model trains were very limited you could get I think one engine and a couple of Danish passenger cars, that's it. 
So you couldn't do the modeling. You could have a train, but you couldn't do the modeling. Were there specific articles in those magazines that really attracted you? Was it the building of the models, or were there particular layout features that inspired you? Both, I think. I remember a couple of layouts from my first issues of Model Railroader. One of them was uh, Chuck Hitchcock's Santa Fe Art and Science Division, I think it was called. Uh, Also a Santa Fe layout uh, called uh, Cat Mountain and Santa Fe. I remember these two layouts, and they had something to them that fascinated me and inspired me to build a Model Railroader. Never have the room for such big layouts. It would be a more modest solution, of course. The Argentine division was Kansas City, but David Barrow's Cat Mountain in Santa Fe was definitely set out in the Texas area, wide open spaces. And you've picked the Union Pacific in the desert, which is a similar theme. It's modern railroading in the wide open spaces of the Southwest. Why did you pick the Union Pacific in the desert? Did you consider other prototypes, or what attracted you to the UP in particular? At first, I tried to build something from what I've seen in Model Railroad, I made built myself a little diorama, and it just didn't look right. So I realized I had to go to the U.S. and see what it really looked like. So uh, my first trip to U.S. Uh, started in Los Angeles, and I the first train places I came to was the grassy hills of the Tehachapi Mountains and the Mojave Desert and all that. And to me, it became American railroading. So that's why I picked the area. I was going to ask also how your professional life factors into this. You're a graphic designer, and I know a number of designers and photographers in my professional world as a corporate writer, and I know that the successful ones are really attracted to clean lines and uncluttered composition, and certainly looking at your work, that applies. Is that what spoke to you when you visited places like the desert, the wide open spaces and the lack of clutter? Mm, uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think I was more fascinated with the long trains pulled by five or six locomotives and all that. You don't see that in Europe. So I I think it's more like a child likes to see some big, thing move. I had it the same way when I came there. You have a modest space. You have uh, 11 by 22 feet. Layout builders typically rely on vertical scenery such as mountains, tall trees, big structures to help us out when we're designing a layout. We have to disguise curves that are too tight or places where the track has to exit a scene through a backdrop or we use tunnels to do that. When you're modeling the desert, you don't really have those devices available to you, but you've really done a very successful job of capturing the layout in a modest space, 11 by 22 feet. What sort of challenges did you have to capturing that sense of space and big sky? Well, the biggest challenge is, of course, to expand the scene beyond the width of the benchwork. And I have still not achieved the perfect result, but I have come a lot closer with the photographic backdrop I use for my new layout. But uh, it is difficult to kind of disguise where the actual layout ends and the backdrop begins when you are modeling the desert. If you're modeling a more mountainous area, you can cover it with trees and bushes and rocks and all that. But that's the challenge to do it in making a desert. And you've done a great job of it, as we can see in your second book, Rebuilding a Layout from A to Z. Your first layout was essentially finished. And I think, and a number of my friends think, that it just looked absolutely fantastic when you wrote the book Mountain to Desert. That was published in 2006. And then you shocked, I think, many modelers by tearing out that layout and starting over. There's so many of us that struggle to finish one layout 
And I know that whenever I've started over, I've had to even call in help to take the first blow to tear down the old layout. Was it a difficult decision for you to tear it down? No, not at all. I tend to lose the interest in my layouts when they're finished. So my joy is in the building process more than operating the layout. So no, it was not a difficult decision at all. You didn't have to work up to it or you know grab a big cup of coffee in the morning and say, this is the day it's coming out? No. <laughs> Nothing Only like that. a few months after I had finished it. <laughs> I knew it was not going to be my final layout. I just didn't know what to build instead. So as soon as I made my decision about building almost the same layout again, well, I just did it the first available weekend. Good for you. Now, your second book is subtitled Building a Better Layout the Second Time Around. And I know it explains in detail the things on the first layout that you felt needed to be addressed. But can you describe some of the biggest shortcomings in your mind for the listeners? There was a, a severe track noise problem on my old layout and uh, it became very apparent when <laughs> I started with sound decoders in my locomotives because <laughs> you could hardly hear them because of the wheel noise. So that was the thing I really wanted to do differently. There was other, a lot of things I think. Yeah. But the track noise was really the thing that bothered you and I guess the only way to solve that sort of problem is to strip it right down to the yes. bench work and start over. Yes. Do you have any advice for hobbyists who are in the process of building a what is a really nice layout but maybe struggling with the sense that it could be better? Should they just dive in and go with the gut feeling? Or <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's hard to give advice to other uh, hobbyists. I can't advise anyone to tear down their layout. There could be many reasons not to do it, even though they want to build a better one. It can be money, it can be time. It takes time and it takes money to build a new layout, so you have to take that in consideration as well. You know, One of the advantages, I guess, of doing a smaller layout is it doesn't take as much time or as much money as some of the basement-filling empires we're used to on this side of the pond. That's true. Now, when I read your books and articles, what comes through to me is that you love the many challenges of capturing realistic scenes. And as we've discussed just now, you really enjoy the building aspect. Is the second layout safe, or are you planning another iteration of the Union? Pacific sometime soon? Well, uh, it's not safe, <laughs> but uh, I don't know when I will tear it down and make something different. Eventually, I will. You'll enjoy this one for a bit, but then that itch to build is going to be too big to ignore. Yeah, well, it's still not finished, so I have to finish this first. Okay, fair enough. What sort of things do you still want to do in the hobby? Are there any new skills that you want to master or big things that you need to add to this layout? Yeah, well, uh, my current project is building a cement plan for my new layout, and uh, it'll fill about one-third of my layout, and uh, it'll primarily be built from scratch. And I have realized I'm not a scratch-building person, uh, I'm more scenery-builder. So scratch-building, an industry of this uh, size, it's, it's kind of boring, I must admit. So I have to take long breaks and do something different to be able to make it. There's a lot of repetition involved in doing something that size. Yeah, the process is slow, and I also tend to cut corners. <laughs> which I know will, I will regret later, but that's how it is. I can't imagine what your layout would look like if you didn't cut corners then, because your corner-cut layout looks fantastic right now. Will you always be a Union Pacific modeler, do you think, or are there other railroads you want to explore? No, it's not a religion to me to model the UP. I just have a lot of UP stuff, so it's, it's the cheapest just to 
stay with the railroad you started with. But if you decide you want a different challenge, you would entertain doing something differently. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Now, we've mentioned that you've done four books for Kalmbach and uh, a number of articles for them. Do you have any more books in the works uh, about the layout or about other things that you model? Right now, I'm working on a follow-up to my done-in-a-day book because I have improved some of my willering techniques. And uh, so I thought it was time to write a new one, and they were okay with that. So that will be my next book. Excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing that, and I'll be adding that one to my collection for sure. Listen, Pelly, it's been great having you here. Thanks for sharing your work in books and articles, and thanks for joining me today on the Model Railway Show. Thank you. My pleasure. You know, what an amazing modeler Paley is, and more amazing that he tore up a layout most of us would kill for in order to better display his vision of the prototype. That's right. It's absolutely a brilliant layout, and it's great that he's documented it in so many books. You know, Paley was at the National Train Show this summer as part of the NMRA convention in Grand Rapids, Michigan, signing his books. I hope that some of our listeners were able to stop by and say hello. If you missed him, he is working on another book, as he said, so be sure to catch him next time. I would dearly have loved to have been in Grand Rapids, just ran out of time. You were going everywhere else this summer, (laughs) as we talked about last show. You know, Paley reminds me that there are a great many European modelers who adopt North American prototypes and do it so very, very well. I call to mind a modeler from the Paris area, Philippe Coquet, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, who does North American prototype modeling and does the ordinary modern stuff so very, very well, you can't tell it's not a photograph. So they're out there, folks. Just have to go looking for them. Well, don't forget, the best way to listen to the show is by signing up for a free podcast subscription. You can find us on iTunes, podcast.com, and podfeed.net, and you'll never miss an episode. And for all of our earlier episodes, visit trainlife.com. Well, it's Jim's turn now. He's returned to his old Manitoba haunts, where he's found a trucker who's never far from his layout. There's a saying that goes, you can't take it with you. Well, a friend of mine used to follow that one up with the line, if you could take it with you, hearses would have roof racks. Well, maybe we will have to leave our trains behind on that final journey, but for our earthly travels, there are ways. Take our next guest, for instance. Ian Plett of Winnipeg is a long-distance trucker. The highway tractor he drives has a sleeper behind the cab. And in that sleeper rides his HO scale model railroad. How clever is that? What a sterling idea. Oh, wait a minute. Ian drives a sterling. Uh, welcome to the Model Railway Show, Ian. Good to have you on with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always seeking out alternate approaches to the hobby, Ian, and it sounds like you found one. Tell us a bit about your work first. You haul freight for Penner Transport, which is uh, headquartered in Steinbach, Manitoba. What sort of freight do you specialize in? Uh, we mostly pull dry van, uh, a little bit of reefer, but more just for specialized hauling. Uh, I guess stuff we haul with like insulation, cabinets, bread, peat moss for uh, greenhouses, mm-hmm. oats and seeds, uh, full parts and lots of Goodyear tires. Oh, whatever pays the bill. What's a typical driving assignment or destination for you? As I do said before, we drive North America, so anywhere, Illinois, like Chicago or Indianapolis, Boston, Massachusetts, all over the place. Yeah, so what we're working up to here is you spend considerable time on the road away from home. Do you get to do much rail fanning from the cab? Yeah, as much as I can. I see a train or I'll haul the camera, digital camera, take a snapshot, I can take a picture of it or take a little bit of video as I'm bouncing down the road. I can be doing that, but it keeps me occupied from the long days. 
Well, and hoping the boss isn't following you on GPS. You take your model railroad hobby on the road. Other truckers, no doubt, try to personalize their space behind the cab. What do they think of what you're doing? Do, do other truckers peek into other truckers' sleepers to see what they've done with the space? Some do. I mean, I know quite a few friends from Penners that I've shown the layout to, and some think it's a great idea, it's a neat idea. Some are like whatever kind of thing, not interested in it. But for the most part, they're very positive with what I see, and I think it's a great idea, so enjoy it. Did the idea for this come up when you were on the road one day, lamenting that you couldn't get back to your home layout in time? Yeah, you could say, I mean, yeah, you got to drive, you know, 10, 11 hour days, and, and sometimes just to keep busy, you got to get your mind something to do, so yeah, that's probably where I got the idea from. I figured, well, less home time, why not bring something along on home with me on the road? It would keep me occupied when I'm not driving and got time to kill. You partner with a guy. In fact, it's uh, his truck you drive, right? Well, yeah, I'm just running team now with for a month or so. But once I'm uh, once we're done running team, I'll get back to my old truck with the layout sitting and go back to driving truck. And when I'm not driving, I can play trains again. <laughs> I'd like to know. We've got to describe your layout for us. Uh, how big a space does it occupy? Which I guess is another way of saying how big is your sleeper? It's roughly uh, seven feet wide, like from side to side of the bunk area, and then deep is about I say a good five feet, five and a half feet. So the layout itself is kind of a shelf that runs along the bunk walls, but the front part where I walk between the, from the, from the bunk to the steering wheel to the, clean the seats is open. I put a, I have a temporary little bridge that I built that fits clamped in place from side to side, just pop the track in, and then, so it's basically I stand in the middle and I run the trains go around and around, or I sit in the driver's seat and listen, listen to the clickety-clack of the wheels. I trust you're not driving when the wheels are clickety-clacking. Uh. No, no. I, I was once at a, at a customer unloading, and I was playing trains a little bit, and then, then I was done unloading, and then I pulled up the dock, and I had a few cars sitting on the track that were just I was not, not hooked up to an engine, and I learned the hard way that they don't, uh, they, they'll, they'll move pretty quickly. A little bit of rock, and those things are gone. So whenever I do move now, trains, trains are off, off the tracks. Well, yeah, I was just thinking it wouldn't be the first freight operation upset by truck traffic, would it? <laughs> uh, what, what era do you run? Modern era? Yeah, I mean, I have a, a range of, you know, some old steam engines and then most of the modern, modern diesels. Are, but this layout only can handle, like, the four-axle engine thing over four axles. can't handle, like, my curves are pretty tight, so mm-hmm. I keep it to the four-axle engines wheelbases. We hope our listeners, by the way, have uh, checked out the link on our website uh, before listening to this interview. John Longhurst has featured you on his blog, and I must say, I think you've done a very good job with the scenery. It looks complete. It's a little minimalist, but I think that's what you need on the road. But is the idea that you will add a little more to the layout on each run, or how does that work? Well, right now, I, I guess I guess my biggest thing was, this was my practice. If I, if I didn't want to show it to anyone, I didn't have to show the layout to anyone. So I wanted to try every kind of scenery possible, you know, from Bells to, to to doing a little pond there with a little rocks in it to making hills and planting trees and making an asphalt driveway. It's a rolling test bed. Yeah, basically it's a rolling test bed of what I wanted to try out on this layout. Looks pretty darn good though, and runs well. Running, I mean, if, if I if I run it every night, it would it would probably be, you know would I could, could 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 run it without every night without having to clean the track. But that's one thing with this layout. It's it's the temperature, you know, the humidity. You know, can't mm-hmm. control that, so the track gets kind of dirty pretty quick. So every time I want to run trains, I have to give give it a, a cleaning, track cleaning, before I can mm-hmm. do anything on there. Well, I'm curious, how do you fit this into your profession of trucking? Do you get long enough break periods to, to actively model railroad on the road? And if so, what's your energy level like after 8 or 10 hours of coping with traffic? Well, on, 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 a, on a usual day, I don't usually run trains, like on a regular, like a busy day. It's more if I have downtime where i got to wait for a load or wait on load or something, or i got to wait to be dispatched my next load. 
or I'm stuck somewhere for the weekend, mm-hmm. then that's usually when I work on the trains, on the layout to run trains on when, when, when I'm on the road. And how do you break down the time? How much do you spend building it, and how much do you spend operating it? Well, when I actually was, like, now it's got, for me right now, I figure the layout's you know, mostly complete. So back when it was in the building process, I may have spent an hour working on it or spent half an hour running trains or half an hour running trains and maybe an hour or two working on it, depending on how I felt at that, that time. Okay, now the more detailed, of course, the longer setup, I suppose. So you must have to pack up a lot of loose bits for highway travel. Well, I mean, like the trees and, and most of the scenery is glued down pretty good. And the three buildings I do have on there, I'm using like finishing nails to keep them in place. Mm-hmm. They don't bounce around. Yeah. Any, any, like I said before, like the trail cars or the locomotives have to be packed away or any other vehicles I put on there just for show or are also packed away like they bounce around, vibrate. Does this supplement a home layout, or is this, uh, you mentioned you're practicing your techniques on this. Is, is this ahead of a home layout, or have you got a layout at home that you're working on as well? So well, I can guess you could call this as my, my home layout away from home because I spend so much time in the truck. Mm-hmm. But I don't actually have a permanent home layout here at the house. Now, someone tells so, me you're also with the Winnipeg Model Railroad Club, are you? Yes, I am. A, I'm a member for the last six years or so. I was just, just finished a three-year term as, as a treasurer for the club. Well, you know, I know a lot of guys in Winnipeg. Say hi to Norm Leathers and Morgan Turney and the rest of the crew for me, will you? Sure will. Actually, Morgan's been on this show before as uh, in his position as editor of Canadian Railway Modeler. Well, Ian right. Platt, uh, I'm quite taken with what you've done in, in, a, in the sleeper of a truck, and it sounds like you're making the best of your uh, time away from home. Thanks for being with us and also for reinforcing the old adage that everyone has room for a layout. Very welcome. Thank you. Okay. Happy motoring. Thank you. I guess Ian is proof that there's always room for a layout, eh, Jim? You betcha. And a couple of follow-up notes to that chat I had with Ian. If you're wondering how Ian attached the layout without damaging the sleeper walls, he simply used the built-in brackets that would normally support an upper bunk. One other thing since recording that interview with Ian, Ian has since discovered his boss at Penner Trucking is also a model railway enthusiast. How about that? (laughs) Nothing like getting the boss on your team, I guess. You can always do one of those take-your-train-to-work days, but he does it every day. Yes, indeed. He does. While you're thinking about that, why not explore the Model Railway Show website for interesting links to these and other shows. Also, visit our Flickr gallery while you're at it, and don't forget, you can find us on Facebook. Well, that's about it for this time around. Who are you going to have on the next show, Trevor? Well, next time I'll be chatting with Jerry Cornwell of the Mount Albert Skill Lumber Company. He's here to tell us what's behind making little sticks of lumber from great big sticks of lumber. How about you, Jim? Well, my guest is going to be Terry Gaskin of Chicago, who has chosen that city's famous L for his modeling inspiration. It's going to be fun, so be sure to tune in. Thanks to the three fun guys who keep this train on the tracks. Dave Woodhead with the music, Chris Abbott is our electron wrangler, and web weaver Otto Vondrak. For Jim Martin, I'm Trevor Marshall. Thanks for joining us here on The Model Railway Show. Our fun guys. They're fun guys. Yes, we go picking mushrooms.